Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is 10 News First Person. Stories that matter from the 10 News First team. Hello and welcome. I'm Gillian Bowen from 10 News First. Over the next 20 minutes or so, we'll be picking apart what's making news in the finance world. The point? To help you learn something new. To understand why the pollies and decision makers are talking about a certain budget element or data release. To help see how some brain-hurting economic news impacts your life. We're going to break it all down. During this strange new world of COVID-19, it seems we can't get enough of all the information that's being pumped out. To help me help you, I'm joined by two economists who have promised to speak plainly. Su Ling Ong, who's the Managing Director and Chief Economist at RBC Capital Markets, and Stephen Helmarek, the Chief Economist at the Commonwealth Bank. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Good morning. We're in the middle of a health crisis, but it's a health crisis that's causing an economic crisis. As economists, are people, you know, your friends, your family, just trying to pick your brains every chance they get? Stephen? Uh, yes, they are. But, um, you know, I think people understand that this is a really unusual situation you know it's a a health crisis that's caused this significant economic downturn you know so we're having to shut down large large parts of the economy as we're now seeing in victoria to slow the spread of the virus so you know it's something very very different it's it's not something that any of us experienced in our lifetime and um, so yeah people have a lot of questions and um you know fortunately we can help provide the answers what do you think Celine? I think people are asking questions as it relates to their own experience. So friends that have businesses that are struggling, others that have kids that have been laid off, others that are just generally concerned about all the information that's around. I think it's about trying to understand what's happening. And I think the challenge as well is that it's happened at a really rapid pace when we think about the last few months and what the economy's been through. It's had a really material impact on the lives I think, of, of all of us, really. Well, that's right. A lot can change in an hour, a, a day, uh, even a week. Wow. To think where we were seven days ago to now, there's more lockdowns in Victoria. We've got stricter borders in several parts of the economy. And the point, obviously, is to save people's lives and to keep them healthy. But economically, what impact does this sort of abrupt change have? It's really pretty huge. Um, I think that there's no doubt that the developments in Victoria have really substantially set back the economic recovery. So if we wind back to about June, so prior to when Victoria went to stage three restrictions and then obviously stage four over the weekend, Australia wasn't really looking too bad from both a health perspective as well as economically. Things were were looking okay. Um, Restrictions nationwide were being lifted the economic data when we look at the May and June type numbers were actually surprising a bit to the upside so it really wasn't that long ago where there looked to be a path out and you know a bit of light at the end of the tunnel yet I think we have to acknowledge Victoria 
has really set this recovery back substantially. So we have made adjustments to our economic forecast, both our growth numbers and unemployment numbers, and we really have no choice because in particular, the stage four restrictions hit very significant mm. sectors of the economy, mm. shutting down all of retail, partly shutting down manufacturing, construction. These are big mm. parts of the economy. And importantly, they're very labour intensive. They're big employers as well. Stephen, for you, from what your team does, you, you crunch a lot of credit card data or CBA card data for spending. Uh, what are the latest figures showing you there? Yes, uh, one of the, you know, the privileges working for Commonwealth Bank is the access to huge amounts of data that we can see you know, flowing through the business. And as Sulian said, you know, when we look at numbers through May and June, there was actually quite an impressive improvement in spending. And, you know, the low point for spending was actually in the middle of April. Mm. So in the middle of April, uh, spending was down around about 20%. This is people spending money on their CBA credit and debit cards. So spending was about 20% lower middle of April compared to the same time last year. And then we had this steady improvement and things were up. Uh, spending, total spending was up around 10, 11% two mm. weeks ago compared to the same time last year. And then uh, last week, we saw a pretty significant slowdown in that pace of improvement. So uh, for the week ending 31st of July, spending was only up 3% on the year. And uh, then, and that was before the stage four lockdowns uh, come into effect in Greater Melbourne. So we would expect to see, you know, a, a big slowdown in spending as people are you know, told to stay That's at home. That's really hard for businesses forecasting or planning. Like I'm just imagining um, the pubs that have got all the beer, they're going to have to tip down the drain and the food that they've got in the fridge that they're no longer able to sell. You, you can pivot, obviously, businesses show they can pivot in a pandemic and they can move to takeaway, but there's still so much stuff, even if you think of food, that's just going to have to go in the bin. That's got to be devastating. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and so, you know, we're having to update our Australian economic forecasts every three weeks or so. And, you know, this is highly unusual. You know, normally in a year, you might want to update your forecast for the year, maybe two or three times over a calendar year. But we've had to update our forecasts uh, three times in the last month. So initially, uh, you know, a month or so ago, uh, May and into June, when the data was improving and Australia was you know, as I say, flattening the curve on the virus, we thought the economy would contract this year by just over 3%, 3.2%. Now, that's a deep downturn for Australia, but a lot better than just about any other country mm. in the world. When the stage three lockdowns in Melbourne happened, we changed our forecast from minus 3.2% to minus 3.8%. And then just two days ago, with the stage four lockdowns were announced, uh, we've revised it to minus 4.2%. So we, we've had to revise twice in the last two weeks and that's uh, reduced growth by a full percent uh, for this year. You know, that's, and that's a big change. And as you say, for businesses, for people just going about their daily lives, uh, that's a lot of change in a very short period of time. Suleen, for you, part of your background is you used to sit around potentially the table with the government by working in the Prime Minister and Cabinet Department as an economist. But thinking big picture, what are the sorts of conversations that government or our decision makers are trying to have when the economists are updating figures so quickly? How are they keeping up? 
Look, there's a lot of information out there. And I think when we look at the policymakers, the government, the Reserve Bank as well, they are doing what Stephen and I and many economists are doing, trying to get an understanding of where we're at and where we're heading. And it's changing constantly because really of the changes um, in, in this virus and the restrictions and measures. And so I guess what we've said is that, you know, the outlook and the path of the economy is very dependent on the trajectory of this virus and the accompanying measures. And you can see that very clearly. So I think the policymakers are trying to do that. There's a lot going on. And it's not just the Australian outlook. It's against a very uncertain global backdrop as well. So I think what's encouraging um, and what we've seen is policymakers that are very willing to respond quickly, to listen as well, I think, to those on the ground, the businesses, industry, um, and try and tailor responses that will help the economy, um, particularly in the recovery period. And that's why I think we've seen really some um, very good policy delivered by the government and the Reserve Bank. There will be more, we suspect, but it really comes in consultation with uh, key and industry. And I think that's quite critical because, you know, if there's one thing to spend a lot of money and to try and lend support, it's another for it to be effective. And so we've seen, for example, the flagship JobKeeper program, you know, how successful that's been in a number of ways. So I think that's what policymakers are doing now. They are sitting down around the table. They are consulting. There's a lot of moving parts and a lot of information coming in and, you know, they need to adjust accordingly. And I think the Victorian developments are consistent with with that. Right, we might take a quick break as we pick apart the COVID economy. Don't go away. We'll be back in a tick. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. G'day, Sandra Sully here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you're looking for more to listen to, head over to Short Black with me next. I talk to all kinds of amazing women who are making a difference. Good women, great chat. Welcome back. I'm in the middle of picking apart the COVID economy with two economists, Sulin Ong from the Managing Director and Chief Economist at RBC Capital Markets and Stephen Halmarik, the Chief Economist at the Commonwealth Bank. I wanted to have a bit of a chat about unemployment. There have been companies in the past week, the past month cutting staff and they certainly won't be the last. I'd, I'd like to talk big picture rather than specifics. What happens when a huge amount of people, so thousands of workers, all lose their jobs at once? Sulin? Well, there's a number of transmissions through the economy, but um, there's a few first order effects and that's very clearly a big hit to confidence, a big hit to income, and then the knock-on impact in terms of expenditure. So very clearly, um, we will see a pullback in consumption and we've already seen that to a degree. I think what is tempering the impact and what's helping, it's clearly the government support measures and in particular, uh, the job 
JobKeeper program, as well as obviously the increase in the job seeker payment. So that's helping to temper the impact of a lot of the job shedding. And we have seen enormous amounts of shedding over the months of April and May. You know, the Australian economy lost nearly 900,000 jobs. I mean, it's a staggering number in a very short space of time. So that absolutely hits confidence, it hits wages, um, and it hits expenditure. And we always have to remember that consumption is about 60%, almost 60% of GDP. So it's a big driver of growth. And it's been really the main reason why the economy's moved into a recession. So basically, if no one's spending anything or buying anything, because they not only don't have a job, but they're also sitting at home on the couch, that then has the tentacles of that impact is, is going to be felt far and wide. Sure, there's an absolute knock-on effect after that first order. And the second order then is businesses um, face less demand. They then pair back on their output and they pair back on the number of people they hire. And it turns a bit into a vicious circle. And so it's important to try and short-circuit that sort of circle and to lend some kind of support. And that's where, you know, the government has an important role in terms of providing some measures to help those that are unemployed, those that are stood down, um, possibly temporarily um, in terms of restrictions. So it's it's really important, the role mm. of the government, I think, mm. in, in those circumstances. And, and that's what we've seen really in the last few months. Stephen, what is the your team at the, at the CBA predicting in regards to the recovery when there is one? So after a relatively deep downturn this year, as I mentioned, minus 4.2% for calendar 2020, uh, we've got economic growth in calendar 2021 of just under 2%, uh, 1.8%. That's actually a pretty modest rebound uh, given how deep Mm. the downturn is this year. And uh, we're just talking about the labour market there. You know, we have the unemployment rate rising to 9% in the coming months and declining only really very slowly next year. Um, so as Suleen mm. mentioned, you know, the rising unemployment, you know, that, that reduces spending uh, significantly. And, you know, one person's spending is another person's income. So you've got re- less spending in the economy that reduces income elsewhere. Uh, but, but, mm. but what I can uh, also say in terms of income at the moment, you know, it's very clear when we look at income coming into Commonwealth Bank bank accounts, that the government programs, job uh, job seeker and job keeper, and things like the $750 payments going to pensioners, is, uh, is actually improving income for a large uh, number of people. So uh, mm. we, can, we can see income growth uh, into CBA bank accounts is higher now than it was pre-COVID. So that's um that's that's interesting. That's the government money, you know, hitting people's bank accounts really quickly, which is um, which is a great thing. Uh, and that, uh, but that also raised the the issue around well, what was what would have happened come the end of September if those programs had just finished? And clearly, that would have been a you know a huge concern for the economy. So we were, um, you know, very aware that a lot of Australians would have need will need support beyond September and. And now that's going to be forthcoming, which is a good thing. Mm. Let's have a look at interest rates. They've been kept on hold again at a record low of 0.25%. Why is that? Well, the Reserve Bank has said that 0.25% is the lowest. Uh, They think they should take the interest rate. Other countries have got rates uh, lower than that and even in negative interest rates. Uh, 
which would take a long time to explain how that works. <laughs> let, 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 let's not. Let's not do that. No. Yeah, let's not do that. Yeah. 0.25% is the lowest they uh, have said they would take interest rates. Um, and is it is it is is it for because when we when we talk in the news about interest rates, we're always banging on about mortgage holders and what it means for your mortgage and mm. um, you know if you're paying a four hundred thousand dollar loan, how much that's going to take off your monthly repayment. Is this interest rate for for mortgagees or is it for somebody else? That, that's that's the interest rate that uh, banks can borrow and lend money uh, off each other. So as money is moving around the economy. Money is flowing in and in and out of all the banks that operate in Australia, uh, both domestic and foreign banks, and that's the rate that they uh, borrow and lend money off each other, you know, through the Reserve Bank. Uh, so that's one interest rate for the the cost of money for the banking system. But the other thing the Reserve Bank is doing is, you know, and that sorry, I should say that interest rate is just for overnight. Uh, the other thing the Reserve Bank is doing. What does is, what what does that what do you mean by overnight? What does that so just, mean? So just just a one day interest rate. So if the banks are borrowing and lending money off each other for one day, uh, that's the interest rate that would apply. Right. The other thing the Reserve Bank is doing is trying to keep interest rates low for uh, other much longer terms. So three months, six months, one year, three years, five years, ten years, and they're doing that by operating. Uh, buying bonds in uh, what's called the, the government and the state government bond markets. So when governments try to borrow money off the markets, the Reserve Bank is helping to keep those interest rates very low. So governments, uh, both the Commonwealth and all the state governments, can borrow money at, at very low interest rates. And I guess um, trying to understand what a bond is or a bond market mm. potentially isn't what the, the person at home really needs to understand, but what they would need to understand is that if the, the 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 bodies that lend them money are able to borrow money cheaply, then that's a good thing for the person at home. Is that that's, the best explanation? Or is the same as with if the government is allowed to borrow money, which they then would in turn use to help us with yeah. payments of different pieces, um, is, is that the best way to understand what's going on? I think two things there. So one is the Commonwealth government is now you know, spending literally billions, hundreds of billions of dollars to support the economy. Uh, which we think is a very good right. thing. They can borrow, the Commonwealth government can borrow money for a maturity of 10 years, so they don't have to pay the loan back for 10 years, uh, at mm. roughly 0.85%. So a very low interest rate. Now, for people in the economy, whether that's businesses, small or large, uh, mortgage holders who are borrowing money off the banks, uh, yeah, I think the message is that the banks can access that money at very low interest rates, and then pass those very low interest rates on to their customers. Sulin, I watched a video of you the other day on YouTube explaining quantitative easing. Um, oh, okay. It was it, now. Look, the best part is that it said to me it was only going to be four minutes long, um, and uh, you were right. It was. It was from 2019, uh, which was a def such, such feels like such a lifetime ago in the economy. Yes. But but there is quantitative easing going on. Would you like to attempt to explain what that is? Sure. So, In less than four minutes. <laughs> in less than four minutes. So <laughs> this was some of the work we did last year as the cash rate was moving ever lower. So if we rewind to 2019, the economy was actually quite soft and the Reserve Bank cut rates three times last year in response 
um, to that. And as the cash rate was getting lower and lower, it did beg the question of, well, what happens when you get close to zero? That effectively uh, happened this year with the onset of the pandemic. Um, And then with the bank, suggesting that the cash rate won't go below a quarter of a percent. The question then becomes, well, what else can it do to help the economy? And that's when um, measures around quantitative easing come into play. And so there are elements of that now in the Reserve Bank's um, measures. And so what we're seeing effectively is them purchasing bonds. So there, it, it's a degree of... So um, what, what Stephen was talking about there, that's what they're doing. That's right. Yes. So what they do is they come into the bond market and they buy bonds directly, not from the government, but they buy them in the secondary market when bonds exchange hands. So um, they're not buying directly from the government, um, but they are buying uh, bonds that are in the system and available for purchase. And what that does, like I guess the basic laws of demand and supply is if they create, they're a new buyer now, um, they uh, increase demand for this product and effectively the, the price of the bond goes up and the yield falls, they move inversely. So it keeps downward pressure on yields. And as Stephen was saying, that's the whole aim of quantitative easing. It's to keep downward pressure on yields, make them very low, um, and those are the yields that will eventually transmit through to the real economy. So the borrowing rates that households get via their mortgages, whether it's fixed or floating, the borrowing rates for businesses when when they um, come to banks and, and look for loans, the whole aim here is to keep the entire Uh, yield curve and yields quite low. And so there are a number of ways to do it. One is through the cash rate. Another is through quantitative easing and being active in the market and buying those bonds. Um, There are other measures as well, but that's Mm. in a nutshell what quantitative easing is. So the point is to ensure that whatever the person sitting on their couch at home or the person who owns the cafe is going to be able to access money or credit at a level that is that they can afford essentially. There's an element of that. I mean, the Reserve Bank can't control the supply as much of of credit, um, but they can can they can be very influential in terms of the price. So the supply really comes from the banks. So Stephen and the CBA, you know, how willing they are to provide credit, um, you know, depends on a whole range of measures. You do have to be credit worthy. But what the Reserve Bank can do through its very low cash rate, um, quantitative easing and buying bonds and keeping that downward pressure on the price of money, so the the yields, um, they can ensure that the supply of that money when it comes via the key lenders is at a very low rate. And that's what we're seeing now. So it's the reason fixed rate mortgages um, have fallen, you know, substantially Mm. to, uh, you know, not much above 2%. It's the reason floating rate mortgages as well, you know, should all start with a two handle on on them. Mm. This is all almost directly a result of the very low cash rate from the Reserve Bank, almost at zero, the bond buying that it's done, and also uh, you would have heard probably this this target that they've set for three-year yields. So, again, very low rate, around a quarter of a percent. So 
all designed to keep the price of money very low and to make sure that low price of money flows through as, as best as possible to borrowers, households and businesses. I think we took longer than four minutes, but I feel like that conversation, no, no, no. I was going to say, I feel like that conversation was educational because now we can see the link between what the people who have fingers in every pie of our economy, i.e. the Reserve Bank and the banks are doing to try to make things a bit more manageable for people at the other end. Uh, Before we go, I'm going to throw out a question without notice to try and end on a positive note. Is there anything from what you you're seeing that shows something to be hopeful about, some sort of positive signs or something positive that surprised you during this uh, economic upheaval? Stephen? Yes, as I, as I mentioned, I think the fact that there's income coming into people's bank accounts is a really good thing. Um, so that's the government support measure, measures working. So, you know, unlike other recessions where you get a huge increase in the unemployment rate and uh, incomes drop dramatically, we're now seeing an increase in the unemployment rate, but income is being held up by these government measures. So they're going to need to continue. And it, I think there's also the opportunity here to think about you know, long-term structural change for Australia. Um, you know, how do, we, how do we fund and build infrastructure, uh, the education system, uh, the, the tax system, the industrial relations system, uh, the, the residential property market? You know, it's an opportunity here to really think about what the economy should look like over a medium term, you know, three years, five years time frame. Mm. And if we're Mm. going to rebuild things and and, then use both government and private sector money to build uh, more infrastructure, build more housing, uh, think about things like carbon abatement and climate change. Here's a great opportunity. Yeah, you're looking for opportunities. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, nice, nice, nice. Sulin? Um, that's definitely right uh, in terms of opportunities for reform and measures that really lift longer term growth and productivity. Um, there's a multitude of options and I think they're getting a lot more airtime and airplay. So we are hopeful that we will see some tangible measures come out of this. I think the other area of, of a bit of upside surprise that's gone under the radar is really in terms of commodity prices and our and our external accounts, so you know Australia clearly a big uh, commodity exporter. When we look at the price of iron ore in particular, that's just hit um, you know another new high. We've seen some real resilience, I think, in our trading position. So mm. despite you know global recession, despite um, concerns on the China front, um, obviously despite a recession here, the external side's actually proved quite strong. So we, we keep running, you know, very large monthly trade surpluses. So the amount of income that we, we get from overseas, mm. um, less what we pay out. And that's really important in terms of overall national income for the economy. So that's gone under the radar a little bit. Part of the reason why the Aussie dollar has also held up probably stronger than most would have expected mm. but that's a small ray of sunshine in what is otherwise <laughs> it's what, a we're, lo- it's what we're looking for 
It's what we're looking yeah, for. Yeah, in, 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 you know, and that is, that is very helpful. So the external mm. side will hopefully contribute a bit to growth this year um, when the domestic, you know, the internal domestic economy is, is really struggling. Brilliant. Thank you so much both for your time. I've been speaking with Stephen Helmarik from CBA and Su Ong from RBC Capital Markets. We appreciate you listening to The COVID Economy and we'll catch you next time. This has been a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.